0: life is a journey not a destination how many of you have heard that the saying came into my consciousness 30 or 40 years ago it was strategically positioned on posters in college dorm rooms or it hung in counselors rooms at summer camps you probably heard it I know you have and you've most likely pondered over its meaning and in particular you may have pondered over its meaning for you Mostly, I think we can understand this statement to mean that it matters how we live our lives. Just like our children's song says, it matters what we do. And it's and it's about not just arriving at the end of our lives so focused on getting to where we were going that we actually forgot to live our lives along the way. In many ways, this saying makes so much sense. In case I need to spell it out for you, in the broad picture of our lives, we all arrive at the same destination in this life, and that's death. Having no guarantee as to what happens after that, I think most of us would agree that there's no need to hurry ourselves along that particular path. It makes so much sense and i don't know why it bothers me so much but it does there's something in about it that i just i don't agree with and there are many ways to evaluate if and how we're living this journey the physical the mental the emotional we'll get to that next week but for our purposes today i want to talk about as a church as a religious institution a group of, of seekers I want to talk about the spiritual journey. I had two two friends years ago named Melissa and Nancy. They lived near Lake Norman in North Carolina, and they decided to take a road trip one summer. Nancy wanted to get to their destination, set up camp, so to speak, even if camp was a hotel room, and then wander about during the day doing side trips and hikes and sightseeing and things like that, and then coming home to the same place each night, really sort of reveling in the surroundings and in the place that they were. But often she would wake up when when Melissa was driving. Nancy would wake up, and Melissa would have taken some exit to see something, Spending time on the way to their destination spontaneously. The world's largest ball of twine or frying pan or a covered bridge or a petting zoo. Any of those. Melissa was down for pretty much all of it. I see some um, recognition here in this. I see some people looking at each other Um She wanted to take all those exits and then eventually, with many adventures behind them, arrive at their final destination. Last week, Glenda, in her Sermon on Forgiveness, mentioned James Fowler's stages of faith. And I, I want to explore that a little more in depth as a spiritual kind of journey. He says that spirituality is a basic aspect of human existence and that it develops in predictable ways, that we can actually look at a person's life and say how they're going to develop spiritually. And he he leaves out particular religion, but he talks about the stages. He talks about them as a progression over time, and i think that yes he's on to something there that eventually if we were to progress in our in our spiritual humanness that we would mm, arrive at that destination but i often think as i have watched my own life and the lives of others that it's more than a a linear progression, that it is also sort of circular and spatial that we move along this back and forth, along this continuum, or in and out of these circles. The first stage, which he weirdly calls stage zero is children from birth to two years old. And their faith development is that they're they're learning to rely on the goodness or the badness or inconsistency of the world based on how they're treated by their parents. They're, what we're hoping for in children is that they experience trust, courage, hope, love. And I would say that downstairs right now is Wendy Mora, our child care provider, who is indeed instilling that in them, that they are learning downstairs, that they can trust, they can try new things, that they can love. I've seen it happen. And, this, and the next stage is preschool. And in preschool, we're trying to, we don't, we don't have the ability to sort out fantasy, fantasy from reality and our spiritual lives consist of experiencing rituals and learning from those around us i was once driving my um i would say my friend's daughter and she was but really it's the it's a child that i love as much as any child i've ever loved and we spent lots of time together but i had picked her up from from kindergarten one day and was taking her home and um we were driving along and it was close to Easter and she said, I wish Jesus didn't have to die. She went to a Christian preschool, a Lutheran one and our um, kindergarten. And she's, and I said, what? I mean, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I mean, I grew up Christian myself, so I knew kind of where she was coming from. And I, I said, what about that? And she said, well, I wish Jesus didn't have to die for me. And she said, "She said Mrs. Schluter, her t- kindergarten teacher, said that Jesus had to die so that we could live. And I just wish Jesus didn't have to die. I feel so bad about that. And um, I had sort of a knee-jerk response. And um, I said, honey, that is what Mrs. Schluter believes, and she gets to believe that, and you get to believe what you believe. And she said, Without even missing a beat, she said, well, I believe in Care Bears. (laughs) I'm down with the Church of the Care Bear. (laughs) The next stage would be um, school age, 6 to 12 years old. And we start to organize the information that, that that comes to us into stories. And the stories, along with the moral rules, are understood literally and correctly, uh, uh, concretely. We start to work out the difference between verified facts and things that might be more fantasy or speculation. So we we start to differentiate there between, like, you know, Mickey Mouse as a cartoon and, mm, like, I don't know, Spider-Man as being a little bit different, right? Even though... Well, no, they're both cartoons. That was a bad, that was a bad example. Um, you see, you see the problem, right? Um, so our source of religious authority starts to expand past our parents and trusted ad- adults to others in the community. So other children. Um, and there's, but there's not much ability to step back from the story and, and look at the overarching meaning. But, and justice and fairness are seen as reciprocal. So, Some people actually remain in this stage for their entire lives. Near the end of this stage, though, if we're progressing along, we start to have the capacity to understand that others might have different beliefs than us. Now, Richard Wangamese says, all that we are is story. And so we carry this element of story throughout our lives. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. So in the next stage, which is 12 to 18, or maybe a bit older, it starts to get really interesting. So we're able to think abstractly, and we start to see that a story has layers of meaning. And we start to see layers of meaning in the ritual and in the symbols of our faith. And we can think from someone else's perspective, and that means that we can also imagine what other people may think about us and our faith we can we start to claim our faith as our own but the faith that we're claiming is still the faith that we're brought up in and by faith i mean even if you weren't brought up in a church there's still a belief system there's still a spiritual development of de- a development of your your identities and yourself so for some people this is their final stage they never really move beyond this stage. And, it, and in this, usually in this kind of um, religious belief or faith, faith formation, um, it's not really about questioning. We just accept what we're told without really questioning why or, or why is it true or what does it mean for us. As you use though, our identity, one of our sort of faith identities, is that we um, encourage children and others to ask questions all our lives. We are a questioning faith it 's the old joke about um, you know burning the question mark on the lawn right um, so um, so from ages to eighteen to twenty two the next phase. People get away from home usually. Um, They expand, we expand the geography of who we know and who we're influenced by. And we start to really question and see the contradictions and problems in our own beliefs. We start to see where we're tripping ourselves up by how we, what we're thinking. And that can be actually quite painful. We may need, if we've been brought up in a religious, tr- certain uh, Christian or uh, theist tradition, we may find ourselves needing to take a little vacation from God. Or something may happen in our lives that causes us to really question. The death of a child or the death of someone close to us um, can, make, can shake us and cause us to ask these questions. And um, we may modify our beliefs or just reject them outright and say, nope, that that can't be true. I have heard some of your stories, so I know that that has happened, and I know my own. But there can be kind of a dissonance between what we thought we knew and recognizing that that may not be true. There's especially a, a strong emphasis in for Unitarians and Universalists, or there used to be on the rational and the logical. And, um, and I would say that that may also uh, be the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Have you heard of that one? It's Pastafarianism. Um, so, so I know, isn't that funny? Um, um, but, but, but very much into, uh, science and fighting against, uh, sort of creation, creationism and being taught in schools and all that. But that is the, um, that sense of rational, logical thinking, really valuing the mind, but that 's not all there is. We move on, and um, now Fowler says this is around the early thirties, but i 'm not sure that that i 'm not sure that the age applies as much as when he first wrote these. Um, it may be longer or it may not be that long, but this is when we we um, the struggles and the questions of the previous stage and that need for things to be logical and rational move from the either-or thinking to the both-and thinking. And uh, we're comfortable in this stage knowing that all the answers may not be easily found. And living in that mystery, we can even thrive in holy ambiguity and embrace the paradox and the complexities. And that the need for individual um, self-reflection gives way to the importance of community in faith development. And we're much more open then to other people's faith perspectives because we realize that other people's faiths might inform and deepen our own. And then in the final stage, Fowler says very few people reach this, reach this stage. He says that, that, that people in this stage have a special grace, this is a quote, that makes them seem more lucid, more simple, and yet somehow more fully human than the rest of us. It's characterized by seeing all of humanity as one and taking profound self-sacrificing action to care for all humanity because of that view. And people get lifted up like Gandhi and Mother Teresa, Jesus and Buddha. Um, they can, those kinds of people can become important religious teachers because they have the ability to relate to anyone at any stage and from any faith, um, and they're without condescension about that. But at the same time, they're able to challenge the assumptions of what those other stages may have. They cherish life, but they don't hold on to it too tightly. And they put their faith in action, challenging the status quo and working to create justice in the world. These are Fowler's theories, and they're for us to ponder, consider, and reflect. But they're not, they're not dogma. I have my own disagreements with some of these, especially in light of what we learn about the figures like Mother Teresa and Gandhi and some of their writings and teachings and how they really are. Um, I think we can find that they're more human than we know, but perhaps that's a point. We need to be in community. So I invite you just to reflect on your own journey. Where is it that you most find yourself on that continuum or in those circles or on that Um, in that progression. And I invite you to know that faith formation is not just for children. It's a lifelong journey. We are a faith that values the journeys of both the individual and the community as long as we live. But what I know from my friends Nancy and Melissa is that no matter their preference or their style about how they got there. They ended up in the same place at the end of their road trip. As will we. There are times when indeed we walk that lonesome road all by ourselves. But we don't have to. We can choose not to go alone. As Unitarian Universalists, we covenant to encourage and support each other's journeys. What we must understand is that at the end of the line, we have not journeyed alone and have not made it entirely on our own. There's another saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. May we look around and find our companions on this journey, or right here. Amen, and blessed be.